we talk about discipleship, we're talking about growth, aren't we? This is a function of a healthy church. This is essential. You can't call yourself a church. You can't call yourself a Christian if we don't understand the principles of discipleship. And this morning, I want to take us to one verse that really needs to be on our heart as we go through and hear from the Lord this morning. Matthew 13, 44. If you have a Bible, turn there. It's the first book in the New Testament. So you can't miss it when you get there. The first of the gospel accounts. And, and the gospel is about the kingdom of God. Jesus bringing the kingdom to us and instructing us on that. So I'm going to read Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and, and then he covered it up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Sounds like a smart guy. He wanted that treasure. He found it. He covered it up. Then he went and he, he sold all of his possessions to buy that field. This is speaking about the kingdom of God and how we are to relate to God in his kingdom. Jesus, give me wisdom. Give me power. Give me clarity. Help me to be discipled as I disciple this one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, think to yourself, what would be treasure to you? What do you value? Would it be like in parts of the Caribbean? You got, you got just a, a hoard of treasure, a cave full of, of wonders and gold and, and fancy things. Would that get you excited? Maybe a treasure to you is um, the environment and our, and our natural resources, the beaches and the wetlands and the animals. And you say, this is, this is heaven. Like, this is living. Maybe it's the golf course. You get out and, and just on, on a beautiful day and, and you're hitting things just right. You get that hole-in-one you've been pursuing your whole life. Uh, we, we were watching a little bit of golf yesterday. It's just so rare to see an ace, even in the professional world. But, but maybe you have that idea of what treasure is. If you were to find that treasure, isn't it true that you would be willing to trade away just almost anything to get it? To have the chance to get it? It's worth something to you. It's precious. It's valuable. So here we have just, it's a parable. So it's, it's a story about kind of everyday life that we all connect with. But it has, a, it has a spiritual heavenly meaning. She says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. He's talking about discipleship. Because in Matthew 13, you'll see over and over as you look through that chapter, there's a parable here, there's a parable there, parable, parable, parable. Jesus is just in storytelling mode. Some people say, oh, Jesus was just, that's how he taught creatively. In part, but there's a very specific reason why he's teaching in parables. It's to draw out the heart of his disciples. Those who have ears to hear will hear and understand. Because Jesus is guiding them towards himself. And those who have no interest in the treasure of the kingdom of God, they just hear a good story. It means nothing more to them. They go on their way. But in the end of chapter 13, his final three parables, 
the parable of the hidden treasure. I just read the parable of the pearl of great value and the pearl, or the, the parable of the net. These parables he only told to his inner disciples. He's not speaking to the crowds here. We're at the point now that if you're here, it's because you want to understand the meaning of the parables. You want to learn from Jesus. So Jesus is telling his flock, his small group of disciples, the kingdom of God is like a treasure. And it's the start of something special when you realize that. There's that moment of realization. Number one, you see here, a disciple of Jesus has a start to an infinite journey. It's kind of, kind, of, kind of wordy, the start of an infinite journey. What do I mean? In Psalm 1611, we're told this about God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand... So your, your position of strength are pleasures forevermore. Have you ever thought about God in that way? Is he just some high and mighty, off in the distance, you know, kind of kind of spiritual thing you can't ever kind of relate to? Or do you view him more as a treasure? Where pleasure is, the fullness of joy. God wants us to know him and have a relationship with him and to love him and to pursue him because he wants us to experience the fullness of joy. Jesus says this, John 10, 10, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly, or you could translate it to the full. So I'm not saying here that Jesus came to give you your wildest dreams, to give you that hole in one, right? Isn't that what people think of heaven sometimes? That you're just playing golf in heaven one day. Some people, that's what their fullness of joy is. Jesus came to show us God is the fullness of joy. He is where the treasure is. I love reading our children's story time Bibles because it unpacks it in such a, a childlike way that, that we all can grasp and, and we need to grasp. Jesus is where the joy is, He's worth everything. He's the treasure that we've stumbled upon, not because I'm smart or I was in the right place at the right time, but because God showed it to me. Here's the treasure. Here's who he is. The good news is that he and Jesus is here. And the reason I picked Psalm 1611, not only because it tells us a whole lot about our infinite God and the pleasures that are in him, but if you look at Acts chapter 2, this is where the church starts, Pentecost is the name for it. In the, in the New Testament age, when Jesus ascends to heaven and he sends his Holy Spirit down to fill his disciples, now our hearts are one with God. We beat with the Spirit of God. It's amazing. His, his Spirit of joy is now within us. And the disciples go outside of the room and they scatter in the streets and they start preaching good news to anyone who will listen. I got to tell you about this treasure that I found. And in Peter's sermon... The sermon that leads to thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus in one day? Guess what verse he quotes? Psalm 16. And here's how Peter summarizes it in his message. It's in Acts 2.28. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. We found the treasure. And it's him. 
Isn't that amazing? What a powerful testimony. The first act, the first public act of the church, when Jesus is gone, we found the treasure. And it's not a secret. We want you to know, we want you to have it. It's him. So the start of an infinite journey is to realize that he's where the treasure is. He is the path. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So our, our finite selves, right? We're created beings. We have not been forever. We are not the source of joy. Our finite selves join the infinite story that God has been writing. That's the moment of salvation. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's always had joy. He doesn't need us. But I find my life at the cross when I see this is exactly who God is. And this is the lengths that he's gone to to win my heart and my soul. He died for me on the cross, shed all of his blood, endured all of the shame, laid down all of the glory that was his in heaven, to stoop down and suffer so that we could live with him forever. So we could be on this path with him. So we could be his disciples. So as we look at what God is doing forever and ever, that infinity symbol, right? God's never had a beginning. He's never going to have an ending. When did you find your story connecting with God's big story? One way we, we ask that sometimes is, is what's your testimony? What's your story? When did Jesus change your heart? When did he save you? It's not because of works that you've done. It's not because you and I happen to be in the right place at the right time. It's, I just, I can't explain it, but the grace of God showed me that he's my treasure now. I want him. I don't want my pride, my life, my dreams, my plans. I say goodbye to that. And I'm following him. That's where my journey started. For me, it was when I was six years old. And my father showed me from the Bible what my sin was doing to me. My sin was holding me back from a relationship with God. I was a sinner. I was broken. I could not know the fullness of joy. I could not know God. And that day, I repented of my sins and I received Christ. That's where my journey started. you got to think to yourself, when did my journey start? I hope you have a testimony similar to that. Might be a little different, but similar to that. We see, as we start this infinite journey, you have to realize Jesus is worth the sacrifice because there's a sacrifice to leave the old way and join in him, right? The disciples had to leave their nets by the seashore. They had to leave their lucrative fishing business to follow Jesus. There's a cost, and there's an even greater cost than that. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, the passage is right there on, on, on your handout. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, would clutch onto it, hold onto it, will lose it forever. I'm adding that in parenthesis, but that's the point of the passage. Lose it for eternity. But whoever loses his life, I'm joining in God's eternal journey. I'll find it. I'll find my life. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You get all those plans and dreams you aspire to, but you lose your soul. Eternal death 
Was it worth the golf? Was it worth the boat? Was it worth the beach? No, he's the treasure. He's worth the sacrifice. So I realize that I am not the treasure. We are not the treasure. That's that next blank. Kind of weird I have to say that out loud, right? But there's this mentality out, out there that maybe God is kind of lucky to have us. Right? We're quite a catch. If Jesus is fishing for men, man, he got a good one. Look at me. Oh, I got gifts. I got talents. I got money. Uh, you know, people respect me. And, and then that's how we treat other people, too. You're just lucky to know me, aren't you? You're lucky to be my friend. No, I am not the catch. You see, my sin is the whole reason this world is broken. I, and, and my dreams, my plans, were getting in the way of God. He's a very gracious God. He honestly could have wiped us all out and started out with a new creation. Could have. But he said, I'm going to get a greater glory by redeeming you, by buying you back from that way of living and joining you in with me. But you've got to realize, you are not the treasure he is, which means I'm also not self-sufficient. So biblical Christianity looks a lot different than the American dream. You wouldn't know that by visiting a lot of churches in North America. We've bought into it. We think, okay, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. So Jesus can kind of join into my life. He can join into my journey. He's my personal savior. And nobody else can, you know, you know, tell me if I'm doing right or wrong. And, you know, I'll go to church when I feel like it, if it makes me feel better. And maybe I'll throw a couple dollars in the, in the offering plate, you know, to help somebody out. And it's just a very pagan worldview. So you can have Jesus and have everything else you want in life. In fact, some preachers even tell you that's exactly what you should do. They preach a prosperity gospel. Jesus came so that you would have a good, nice, happy life that's comfortable and, and financially rich and blessed, and, and you're going to have so many opportunities to have a platform, and, and none of that sounds like what Jesus is talking about here. Discipleship? Lose your life. Lay down your life. Pick up a cross. No, really. Most of Jesus' disciples would be martyred for their faith. That doesn't happen in America. Would I have put my faith in Jesus if I knew my head would be on? There's little ones in here, so i got to be careful with that. Would I? Would I? He's worth the sacrifice. Even my life. He deserves every part of my devotion in my life. So that moment of realization, when I lay down my life and I look to him, there's something deeper going on here. I'll pull my notes here because I don't want to miss this. If I call myself a follower of Jesus, and Jesus says... You need to pick up your cross and follow me. Hear me. Is it amazing that Jesus never asked us to do something that he didn't do himself? Pick up your cross and follow me. Because Jesus already carried his cross. 
Jesus made the sacrifice. He gave up his life for me. He says in Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Jesus gave up his life to give us a house, a heavenly home with God the Father forever. So, so he could give us brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and children in the spiritual family of God. So he could also bless us a hundredfold over and give us eternal life. Wait, maybe that does sound a little bit prosperity-ish, but he gave it all. The sacrifice gave us the opportunity for the blessing. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your unending love. And what was his prize, by the way? What does Jesus get out of this? Great, your mind be blown? Ephesians 1.18 Having your eye, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Okay, glorious inheritance. What's this? In his saints. His saints are his prize. I'm an unworthy prize. I'm telling you. Jesus, you did that for me. You did that to gain me. I'll never understand that. And for the rest of eternity, as I try to get to know God and love him and, and I'm with him forever in heaven, I'm still not going to fully understand and neither will you. Because you can never reach the depths of God's love. You can never reach the depths of his grace. We're going to be mining and searching and asking questions and pursuing him and we're never going to get to the finish line with God. He's infinite. God, I'll never understand why you set your eyes on me. So the bride of Jesus is his prize. There's nothing that he can ask me to do that is too much. It might feel like it sometimes. Whew, I'm, at my, I'm at my stretching point, Jesus. I don't know if I can go much further. I can't have you, God. And he's never going to call me to give something more than he gave. But he will give me the strength by his spirit to follow him. So if we believe that he is the joy, he's where the treasure is. If we believe that he's worth the sacrifice and I lay my life down to follow him, well, then that means we're on a path now. There's a pathway of discipleship. We're going somewhere. Luke 6.40 tells us what discipleship is. And then we're going to define it. Okay? I've used that word a lot. I should probably start defining things at this point. Right? Luke 6.40. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay? The disciple will never achieve the teacher status. He's one teacher. But we're pursuing him. We're seeking to be trained so that we'll be like him. Okay? So discipleship de defined. This is the ongoing process of sincere devotion to Jesus. I gave him my life. And if I'm a true disciple of Jesus, I'm going to keep giving him my life. All of my days. And into eternity too. 
So discipleship is that process where I get to know him. I'm with him. I enjoy him. And, and I'm also changed to be like him. In order for that change to happen, well, we, we've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of change. He's the power of God. He's, he's working on my heart. He's, he's taking the old Josh out of here. And he's growing a new heart. A new character. new love. I got a new heart when I was saved. Doesn't mean it was fully developed, though. The Holy Spirit's got some work to do on me. But also, uh, let's see. We need discipline. What was the word I have there? Let's just say a, a persistent. We need persistent discipline to grow. So salvation is all of God's grace. I just receive it by faith. But now that I'm in God's family and I'm a child of God, this growth process takes two. I can't grow apart from the Holy Spirit. He's essential. But also, I don't just lay in bed all day and say, Holy Spirit, get to work. Do your thing. I'll grow over time. We got a lot of churches in America with people that grew up at their church and their family. They've gone to that church for forever and their grandparents and great-grandparents are buried out in the in the graveyard. Is it cemetery or graveyard? Well, it's connected to a church. I always forget. One of them. All right? It, they're buried right out there. And so we kind of treat this church like a club. Like, I just belong here. You know? Our, my name's on the door, kind of, so to speak. And we stop thinking about Christianity as a pathway. I am to be growing to be more like Jesus. And it starts with a birth. The new birth. Right? And in our family, we're all about births right now. Especially today with uh, my sister being labor. So that's exciting. We're, we're excited to, to welcome a new baby. We don't know boy or girl. We'll, we'll find out. Lord willing today. So, so pray for her if you would. But Titus, today's your birthday, isn't it, buddy? Happy birthday. He is seven years old. And because he's seven years old, that means seven years ago today, you were born, weren't you, buddy? And look at how you've grown. We're so proud of you, how you're growing up. Judy, you too, buddy. Your birthday was last week. We all have a birthday spiritually if we're Christians. And there are milestones that we achieve as we give our lives to him, as we continue to follow the same voice that called us from the beginning. And here's the purpose. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're looking at it. We're looking at our Savior. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we stare in awe at Jesus and we can't get over His grace and His goodness and, and we're just trying to follow Him step by step, the Holy Spirit does the work to actually make us like Him. When we talk, we actually have some of His wisdom and His words and His truth coming from our lips. When we think, we think about the world in terms as God views it, not as man views it, which is tricky because we're spending hours and hours streaming content online and we're on social media and we're keeping up with, with politics and all those things. It's just easy for the world to disciple us if we're passive. If we just let it, the world will be happy to fill our mind with all kinds of things. But because I'm a follower of Jesus, I care what Jesus says. 
I want to hear what the Bible says. I don't leave it on my nightstand collecting dust all the time. I want to know. That doesn't mean you spend four hours a day in Bible reading, two hours on your knees in prayer every day. Okay, this is real life, okay? I'm not asking everyone to be super saints. But are we in the process of looking unto Jesus and growing? So let's just recap these stages here, right? Obviously, we talked about new birth. So stage one, a newborn babe. We've all been there physically, and if you're a believer, you were there spiritually as well. We have, we have a, a, a couple of children in here that recently put their faith in Jesus. So, so they're they're just looking for milk, big big idea stuff, okay? God's love and who He is, some of His attributes, and the teachings of Jesus and His miracles, and what are some of the books of the Bible? I mean, these are very basic but important things. And if you don't get that milk, right, you're not going to grow. You don't hand a steak to a baby and say, grow up, and grow up quick. So church, let's remember the patience that God has for us in this growth process. Let's be patient. Let's also show patience towards others. We don't grow overnight. But we need milk. First Corinthians 3 talks about that. that, that when, when Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, he said, I fed you guys milk. You're just a baby church. Right? It's a baby believers. You need to grow. Uh, a baptism and communion. What are those? What are the purposes of that? Newborn babes need to understand all that Jesus taught about them. And then, as you grow, you become a what we call a young Christian. So just like kids running around, they got that energy. So this is an enthusiastic follower of Jesus. Maybe got a lot of passion and excitement, and, and you want to do what's right. But then you mess up. You get really discouraged and down. You know, Or you're looking to fill in the pieces for... Get a more committed life to Jesus, but sometimes you're just missing pieces and you got questions and and you start to read your Bible and then you drop off, you know, and, and then you keep your evening prayers and then you drop off. It's it's inconsistent. You're young, you're just learning how to walk with Jesus and, and even one day run. You're learning how to put on your spiritual armor. Maybe you read through a book of the Bible for the first time. And you're like, oh, so the Bible's not just a bunch of random verses. There's a purpose. There's a story being told here. Then you get towards maturity. Mature believers. This is what I hope we all pray and, and desire to be. 2 Timothy 2.2 gives an example. What you have heard from me, this is the Apostle Paul, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now it's your turn to entrust that to faithful men. And they will teach others also. So a mature believer is one who understands how to follow Jesus, and they take other people by the hand, metaphorically, maybe sometimes physically, and help them to understand how to follow Jesus too. You realize my life is more than just sitting and listening. I was made to be a fisher of men. We talked about that last week, evangelism. And, and then when someone comes to faith in Christ, you realize right away, they're a baby. I don't care how long you've been in church. If you just got the Holy Spirit, you're a baby. you got growing to do. Who's going to help them? Who's, who's going to help make sure that the milk is just the right temperature? It's not too hot, and it's not too cold. Someone comes alongside and, and encourages them and helps feed them. A mature believer is obedient to the Word. There's no major sins in my life that I'm okay with. We all have sin. I'm going to sin today. 
already have sinned. God's forgiven me by his grace. But when I sin, I'm not content to stay there. That's the old way. Jesus has brought me so far since then. I can't stay in that way. And Jesus is so much better. Jesus, I repent. I'm turning back to you. We move, we turn quickly from sin to repentance. We're bolder in sharing our faith, although we never fully arrive. We serve in the local church. We seek to be dependable. It's not like, you know, hey, I'm going on a mission trip, and I'm going to go reach thousands for Christ, and then the next week you drop off the face of the planet and you stop going to church for six months. It's not a sign of maturity, right? But we're striving to be more fully devoted to Jesus, to his process, to his word, to his church. And, and I just, I listed some stages there, but let's be honest, we all could find ourselves in several of those stages, couldn't we? We'll let God be the one to decide how mature we are. Scripture warns us, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Okay. I'm a pastor. Still can't think too highly of myself. I'm one mistake away from disqualifying myself from this ministry. It's true. It's true. The greater the maturity, the greater the responsibility. Lord, keep me humble. Keep me dependent on you. Where do you find yourself in those stages? Where where would you put your, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors? Do they even know Jesus yet? Ah, evangelism is key. And we see that people need people to help them grow in the faith. That's why the church is here. It's the final point. Disciples of Jesus make disciples. We're commanded. We know this. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, we're going to go do it. But beyond that, beyond the command, Ephesians 2 tells us what this should look like. We're fellow citizens. Uh, the United States of America is not our shared citizenship. Although it might be. It might be. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a citizen with the saints of the household of God. That's incredible. We're being joined together, step by step, choice by choice, prayer by prayer, sermon by sermon. Jesus is building his kingdom, and he's doing it through his church in us, even right now. As you hear the word of God and respond in obedience, you're being built up. You're being developed. You are maturing. We're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. So the local church is Jesus' hub for discipling, disciple-making. Yes, there are plenty of outreaches and ministries, and there's online content, and, and we've got we got some resource books out there. I hope you all will, will avail yourself to. Um, I also have a book. We're going we're gonna to get some of these for resources as well, but Chasing Infinity. It's a lot of this idea of discipleship is pursuit of treasure. i got to give credit. Mark Lederbach wrote an incredibly accessible book that you all would enjoy about the process of being a disciple of Jesus. The local church, though, people who are saved by his grace and indwelled by his spirit, this is how we grow. We need someone to come alongside of us. Jesus says, I'm ascending back to my father. It's on you. You're not alone. you got my spirit. You're going to be my hands and feet. So as you look at that picture there, I put there. So I, it says small group ministry. It could also say church. 
but we we emphasize small groups because that's when we move from oh pastor josh told us we should do this to now in small group we are doing this together we're discipling one another we're loving one another we're talking about how do we how do we reach our neighbors for jesus it's just a helpful way for us to get together and grow it's it's a hub but whether you can go to small group or not how are you opening up your life so that you can personally have an influence on others on their discipleship journey if you've only been a part of an established church before where you do a lot of sitting and listening maybe standing sitting kneeling standing okay what happens when you go outside the doors after the service who are you serving who are you reaching who are you caring for when there's needs who are you praying for who are you sharing jesus with a church is a body of believers who just say we want to fully devote ourselves to Jesus. We want to be like him. And we want to help others become like him as too because that's where the joy is. Every person that comes through this door is someone that God's working on. And we want to help cultivate that so that they can experience the fullest joy possible. That only comes from Jesus. Not from me. But God uses me to help point them to him. It's an incredible process. The amazing growth that we have there is possible through him. So, in a couple weeks, we have a launch Sunday. And I'm not going to tell you, hey, when it's launch Sunday, now we need to be serious about discipling people. Today, we get serious about discipling people. Because they're going to know if you're faking it. Do we really care if people can bring in their brokenness and their junk and their stuff and be really loved and shown the hope that's in Jesus? How are they going to experience that? From a guy with a microphone up on the stage? Yeah, because that's how you all experience love in your personal relationships. No. Someone who comes alongside, puts their arm around and says, hey, how are you doing? Hey, this is your first time here. It's going to be really easy for the first few weeks of Women Hope Church. It's your first time here, isn't it? You know, like, you're just going to know because if you weren't at any of the services before on Sunday, all right, I'm helping you guys out there. But get to know their names. Get to know where they're from. How'd you hear about us? And maybe even in how they heard about you, you can kind of see, see what God's doing here. Hey, would, would you like someone to pray for you? Sounds like you're going through a lot. Hey, would you like to come be a part of, of, our, of our prayer gathering? Ladies, you don't officially have something going on right now, but maybe God would give you discernment in that moment talking to a lady. We need to get some ladies together. We need to pray for this lady. We need to help this lady. You're just going to know. And we're going to respond, and our ministries are going to form where the needs are because we're about discipleship. We're about helping people grow in the Lord. No one of us should be staying exactly where we are spiritually. And it's going to be stretching, guys, I'll be honest. Setting up for simple worship can be stretching going to be even more stretching when we're all showing up early. We're all a little bit groggy in the morning and, and we're all sweating a little bit, getting things in different places. And then you're serving during the worship hour and then we're tearing down afterwards. Is this worth it? If you're doing it for yourself, it's not worth it. If you're doing it because Jesus is your treasure and you want these people and these children to know that Jesus is the treasure, it's worth it. Every drop of sweat. It's worth it. Because he's our treasure. I hope that even right now, God's laid something on your heart, on your mind, 
this is the person I need to help in their journey. Or I need to come to church differently on Sunday mornings. I've been coming to get. I need to come to get and to give. It's just retooling us. Or, or my, my personal Bible study and my prayer, it's now a, it needs to be a priority, not just something I get to on the good days. Jesus, I need you. Even if it's audio Bible, you know, I was talking about this Caleb the other day. Some of these are just crazy. They're nuts. Thank God for audio Bible and, and podcast sermons. and So we can still grow in the Lord as we go. But let's prioritize that time because we're not going to grow through osmosis. We're going to grow through the personal presence of Jesus. Let me pray for us.